Well, good morning, Bethel. Good morning to all of you who are joining us online today and from your homes through Rogers TV. And uh, good morning to Bethel Strathroy there in the auditorium. It is a joy to get to be a part of this church family that we call Bethel. And uh, as many of you will know, a number of months ago, we had the privilege of sending out, uh, birthing a new church in Southwest Middlesex. And that's where I get to be live in person today. And, and we have sort of this rotation at times of being able to have video for them out there, me go out there on occasions, Nick's preaching live, Nathan and Josh sometimes go out there and video in Strathroy because we really believe this is an opportunity for us as a family to help support and raise up a strong new church. To, to not just you know, send them off and have them just go on their own, but to really do this together collectively and to be supporting through our preaching, to be sending teams like Nate and others from our worship team out there, um, our kids ministry and so many other things. And so uh, please be praying for Bethel Southwest as we gather today. And uh, I'm really excited to dive into God's word here together. Over the years, language has this funny way at times of changing the meaning of certain words. Certain words actually, um, when you look back into history, meant one thing at one period of time and have actually changed quite dramatically to be used, defined, and, and to mean something very different today in our time. Let me give you some examples of this. The word Clue. If you use the word clue several centuries ago, that was actually describing a ball of yarn. Today, it's a, a board game or you know little pieces of evidence that you use to find and solve a mystery. Or the word bachelor. A few centuries ago, if you mentioned the word bachelor, you were speaking of a young knight. Today, actually, that's the thing you get. If you go to university, you get a bachelor's degree or maybe you might be referencing uh, a man who is not yet married. The word fizzle. <laughs> the word fizzle a couple hundred years ago referred to silent flatulence. <laughs> um, it was the, you know, quiet, deadly one that leaves everybody looking around the room to try and figure out who just did that. Or the word awful. The word awful actually used to be a really good word. It, it, it was equivalent to kind of amazing or awesome. Something was full of awe, and so it was awful. Now it has completely flipped, and it means something is, you know, terrible or disgusting. These words, what they meant, what they stood for years ago, and what they mean and stand for and how they are used today, has dramatically changed over time. Today, the passage of God's word that we are in is zeroing in on one particular word. It's really centered on one word. It's all about coming from lots of different angles, unpacking this one particular word. It's a, a word that's meaning has dramatically changed. It's actually a very common word. It's a word that almost guaranteed you use pretty much every day. And the people around you, whether from church or not, use it probably almost every day, numerous times a day often. It's a very common word. But the way we use this word today, what we mean by it, how we define it, how we understand it, is 
very different from the way God intended and defined this word in the Bible. And in a lot of ways, what we're going to see today, our, our text today, is basically helping us to understand what God means by this word. So the word for today that really captures our whole text is this, love, love. We use this word to describe the, the socks we put on our feet and the sandwiches that we eat. We use this same word to describe the certain sports teams that we follow and the spouse that we are married to. For some, this is a quick reply that you put at the end of every single text message that you send. And for others, this is a word that you hold as sacred and only speak to show the pinnacle of commitment in a relationship has arrived. We use this word in all kinds of ways and all kinds of places in all kinds of settings to mean all kinds of things. But God had a very specific and very different picture of what he means by love when he tells us about it in the scriptures. In fact, here's what we're going to see coming out of today's text. It's this, that as the gospel transforms a person, a dramatically different love is produced. And so if we turn with me in your Bibles, grab your Bibles out, grab one from under the chair there in front of you, and we're going to be in Romans chapter 12, finishing off this chapter today from verses 9 to 21. And our text begins with this statement, love must be sincere. We're going to talk about sincere love today, genuine love, real love, according to God. I know this word love gets tossed around everywhere in our day and around us, but God wants us to move out from the common lip service love that gets tossed here, there, and everywhere. And he wants to call us to a sincere, transformed, dramatically and radically unique love. To use the language of a couple weeks ago, lip service love is conformed love, just like everything else in the world. And God wants to call us by the gospel to a transformed, Transformed love. Sincere love is transformed love by the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And the verses that follow are essentially this picture of what is genuine, real, sincere love, what it looks like. And we're going to see that the gospel transforms us from lip service, love, common love, conformed love to real, genuine, sincere love. So let's read through our whole text here together. Love must be sincere. Hate what is evil and cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Honor one another above yourselves. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. Share with God's people who are in need and practice hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. Do not be conceited. 
Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Do not take revenge, my friends, but leave room for God's wrath, for it is written, It is mine to avenge. I will repay, says the Lord. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you'll heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. This passage is filled with directives. It's like this, this bullet point list, right? It's like Paul was tweeting before there was even this thing called Twitter. Now, I want to suggest to you that these bullets that are here, and there's my count, about 20 of them, are all basically unpacking and explaining and giving context to an understanding of the very beginning of this, what is sincere love. These are all outworkings, displays, manifestations of sincere, genuine, gospel-transformed love. And so let's ask some questions of this text to try and understand it here together. Here's a question. How do you know whether your love is just lip service love or sincere love? How, how do you know whether the love you are living and giving and saying is is conformed love or transformed love? Here's a thought that we have coming right out of our text, I think. The sincerity of our love is seen when we are hit by hard parts of life. The sincerity of our love, the litmus test to see whether your love is lip service or sincere, is what do you do when the hard parts of life hit you? If you want to know whether you have real love, sincere love or not, if you want to know whether you're growing up in the love of God that comes from Him and not just lip service love, if you want to know if you're living transformed love or conformed love, look at what happens when you are hit by hard thoughts, hard times, and hard people. What happens when you're hit by hard thoughts, hard times, and hard people? We won't be able to go through, just because of time, all 20 of these bullets here. But I really do think if you study through them, you're going to see that each of these, each and every one of them, actually fall into at least one of those categories of speaking to or dealing with or looking at a hard time, a hard thought, a hard person. Sincere love in hard times with hard people with hard thoughts is what we're brought to here. So here's another question from our text. How do you react when you're hit with hard thoughts? How do you react when you're hit with hard thoughts? Verse 9 says, Hate what is evil, cling to what is good. Sincere love hates what is evil and wicked. That is an incredibly strong word. It means to like abhor, to be disgusted, to want to like vomit just at the presence of it. When, when someone is around evil or indulged, exposed to evil, when tempting thoughts, sinful thoughts of, of anger or gossip or lust or greed pop into your mind, 
Does your heart have a tenderness to it that it is just disgusted by those, even being exposed to those thoughts? Do you, do you long to cling to and grab onto what is true, what is good, what is noble, what is right? This is such a battle, such a battle. And we so easily, subversively are seduced towards lip service love without even realizing it. I came across in a book I was reading this week, this statement jumped off the pages to me. It said a relatively non-explicit film which glorifies or idealizes extramarital sexuality can be as subversive to the conscience as an X-rated movie. That, that thought just jumped off the page to me. And, and don't get it wrong. It's not minimizing the negative impact of, of watching porn. That's not what it's saying at all. But what it's actually getting at is that when we watch shows or movies that, that make it seem like, you know, it's, it's just no big deal for these two people who are not married to just hook up sometime. When, when we watch shows that even if there is no nudity or explicit visuals in it that are portraying, it's just normal to, to have two people outside of marriage, outside of the way God defines it, to just be getting together. What it does is it slowly chips away and starts to get us subversively thinking, yeah, that's not really that big of a deal. That's just kind of normal. There's nothing wrong with that. And before we even realize it, our hearts start to get hard to what is good and soft to what is evil. Our idea of love gets distorted away from, from fleeing and being disgusted by evil to being like, yeah, that's no big deal. Away from, from longing to cling to what is good to be like, what's wrong with that? Or let's look at another example. When hard thoughts hit. Verse 10 says, honor one another above yourselves. I mean, that sounds like a great idea, doesn't it? To honor and appreciate other people who would be against that until we have these thoughts that pop into our heads. Thoughts like, you know, well, why is, why is she getting all the attention? Thoughts like, why doesn't anyone acknowledge the ministry that I'm working in so diligently? Thoughts like, oh, he doesn't even know what he's talking about. I could do such a better job than him. Why is everybody looking at him? It's very easy for us to want to honor those whom we like. But what about when these thoughts pop into our heads? And we all have them. We may not admit it out loud, but we all have these kind of thoughts. What do you do when these hard thoughts pop into your head about honoring someone you think doesn't deserve it? What do you do when you're urged to honor someone that you don't really like? How do you respond when these hard thoughts come in? See, lip service love, conformed love, common worldly love honors the people we like. Sincere love, though, puts everyone above ourselves. Whether we think they deserve it or not, 
It's a humble love, like we saw last week, or a couple weeks ago in, uh, in chapter 12, verse 3, where you think, thinking of yourself, not thinking of yourself more highly than you ought. Sincere love is a humble, surrendered love. So that's thoughts. What, what happens? How do you react when you are hit with hard times? What kind of love comes out then? Verse 13, it says, share with God's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. God says here, sincere love is a love that gives away what you've got and what you've worked hard to earn and what you might even say, you know, I deserve this. This is mine. Give it to others who are in need, to others who are struggling. And in particular, it says to give it to the the people of God, God's people. There's a special call here to support our brothers and sisters in the faith. But it's not just that that's talked about in scriptures in terms of giving generously. James chapter 1, religion that God our Father accepts is pure and faultless is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress. So we are to give generously to look after orphans and widows. Psalm 96 verse 8 says, Ascribe to the Lord glory do his name. Bring an offering and come into his courts. As we unite together to worship like this today, we are to give an offering to God. Give generously to God. Or Jesus tells this parable story in Matthew 25, and he says, For I was, when I was hungry, you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. I needed clothes, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you looked after me. I was in prison, you came to visit. And then the righteous will answer him and say, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and invite you in, or needing clothes and clothe you? When did we see you sick? or in prison and go visit you. And then Jesus says, you know, the the king, it's this parable, will reply, I tell you the truth, whether you did, whenever you did for one of the least brothers of mine, you did it for me. Whatever you did for the least of these. We are to look out for those who are struggling, who are brushed aside, who have no one standing up for them, who don't have a voice, and we are to give sacrificially to them to the hungry, to the poor, to the impoverished, to the imprisoned. Now, I think many would say in the room right now and and around our town would say, man, it's a good thing to be generous. It's a good thing to help people in need. We as Canadians think of ourselves, I think, as pretty generous, good, kind, helping people. But what do we do when the hard times hit us? Or Or maybe what do we do, really, when we bring about the hard times upon ourselves? There was a study done in 2020 looking at Canadian charitable giving. Now, 25% of people surveyed at that time in 2020 said that they were anticipating in the next year to use be a part of a charity in Canada. 25% of all Canadians in 2020 that were surveyed said, yeah, I intend to use a charity in Canada in the next year. But here's what blew me away. Do you know the average Canadian in 2020 gave 0.5% of their income to charity? 0.5%. To all charities anywhere. 
This blew me away. But you start to think about it, and you think about the pressure that we, we feel around us, we put on ourselves and others put on us to, to chase the dream of owning a home and how expensive homes cost these days. All the pressure to put our kids or grandkids into certain sports, certain teams, certain activities, and all that comes along with the expenses of those. All the pressure to retire by a certain age and be able to have your freedom early and at a certain time. All the phones we get, the TVs we get, the toys we get, the trips we go on. We chase after all of these things and spend on all of these things and we spend ourselves to the point of right at the very edge of the cliff or over the cliff with no margin. We've got no room. To give. We are nice people. We think we're nice people. We pride ourselves in being nice people and being generous. We think we are loving, but we live to the limit so that we have nothing left to give to anyone else because we've spent everything on ourselves. Is that really sincere love, friends? God is calling us here to a sincere, radically generous, totally standout approach to love that lives on less and gives to those who are more. That's the sincere love that God is calling us to here. Or verse 11, never be lacking in zeal. Keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. Sincere love, according to God, here involves this passion and fervor and burden and delight to serve the Lord, which is nice in the honeymoon phase when you're five weeks in to a new ministry experience, new ministry opportunity, new ministry team. And you're like, wow, this is amazing. I love getting to do this. But what about when you've been serving in that area for five years, helping those kids and you're day after day, week after week, serving those children and now you're starting to go crazy and you're getting fed up. What about then? What about when you just keep pouring yourself into others and for others and feel like no one is noticing and pouring into you? What about when you've poured your heart into service for Jesus and other people around you and all you seem to get back is attitude? or accusations against you, or, or you get burned by friends who you're trying to help? What do you keep doing then? Lip service love. You know what lip service love says? You know what the, the love of the world says? It says, you know what? I'm done. I wave the white flag. I'm done. No more of this. I don't need this. Spiritual fire dissipates down to not even a flame or a flicker. Sincere love, though. Real love, genuine, genuine love from the Holy Spirit keeps fueling you to serve even when it can be hard. So sincere love, it comes out when we hit hard times. It comes out when we hit hard thoughts. And what about when we get hit by hard people? Sincere love shows itself. The sincerity of our love shows itself when we are hit with and by hard people. Because it's easy to deal with easy people. It's easy to deal with people that we 
like. It's easy to deal with people that are going to give us something in return, that are going to pat our backs, that are going to lift us up, that are going to return the favor. But what about when you hit hard people? What do you do then? Verse 16, live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. Do not be conceited. Sincere love lives in harmony, that is in peace with one another. Sincere love is willing to hang out with people that are below you, willing to be around people who they won't give you anything in return. They won't scratch your back. They won't lift you up. They have nothing to offer you. You are doing this entirely out of the benevolence of your life to get nothing back. That's sincere love. If it says possible, verse 18, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Live at peace with everyone, not just the people who treat you really well. Not just the people who line up to, you know, like kiss your ring, whatever that old saying goes. As far as it depends upon you, as far as it depends upon me, live at peace with the person that is that hard person in your family that just keeps pushing your buttons every single time. Live at peace with that person who from your vantage point is just on the hunt on the playground to try and find you and pick on you. Live at peace with them. Live at peace with the person Who, who you know at work is walking around talking about you behind your back because you just keep hearing about it. Live at peace with that person. Yeah, well, well, I'll live at peace with the person who, who is respectful to me and who's kind to me and who gives, gives, me, gives me that back. But if you cross the line, if you don't deserve it, well, then I'm not going to give you that. If that's the thought that starts going through your head at this point, Paul quotes from the Old Testament, Deuteronomy chapter 32, in chapter 12, verse 19. It is mine to avenge. I will repay, says the Lord. It's not your job to look after what's going on with that person. God's got it. Verse 20, he continues, another quote from Proverbs chapter 25. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If your enemy... If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you'll heap coals on his, burning coals on his head. We talk about love, but, but it's all lip service love in terms of how so often it gets thrown around. We talk about love that doesn't stand and cling to truth. It washes away the lines of truth and say that that's really love. That's not sincere love, according to what God says. We talk about love that says we care about others, but, that, uh, but then spend all of the money on ourselves. That's not really love. That's just lip service love when we live at our limits and don't have anything to help the poor and those who are in need. We talk about love that serves when it's convenient, when it's good for me, when it works neatly into my schedule, when it lifts me up. When I get something back, but that's just lip service love. We talk about love that lives at peace with the easy to live with people. That's just lip service love. But here in our text, God is calling us to a radically different sort of love, to a sincere, genuine, not conformed, but transformed love. He's calling us to sincere, 
genuine love. So here's another question of our text. How on earth do we live with sincere love? Where does this sort of self-sacrificing, other-centered, generous, radically different, patient, persevering love come from? Where do we get that kind of love? How can we possibly love like that? Well, it goes back to what we've already tracked so far. Here's, here's one verse that just immediately comes to mind. There's a bunch of others I could give so far in this journey. We've been in this wonderful book of Romans, but here's one. Romans chapter 5, verse 8. But God demonstrates His own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. This radical love this sincere, transformed love starts not with us, but with God. It doesn't start with us. It doesn't come out from us. It doesn't look inside yourself. It comes from God. This sort of sincere, standout, altogether different love all begins with Jesus. It's not just love from God in a general sense, oh, God is loving, but no, it's a very specific example. Here's how you know what love is. God sent his son, Jesus, to live, to die, to be buried, to rise again for you. That's what love is. That's where love starts. That's how you understand love. We are showed it. God gave up his son for us. That's the definition and origin of love. And we cannot give what we have not received, right? I mean, that's just a general principle of life. I was sitting around with my couple of my kids this last week with Caleb and Abby, so my two youngest. Caleb's four, Abby's seven. We're sitting around at the table, and Caleb asked me this question. He's like, hey, Dad, hey, Dad, how much money would you give me if I cleaned the whole house? And so I look him right in the eye and I say, if you clean the whole house, I will give you a hundred million dollars. And he looks back at me, he's like, no way, a hundred million dollars. I'm like, yes, I will give you a hundred million dollars if you clean the whole house, buddy. And then Abby, my sweet seven-year-old, chirps in and she says, you don't have a hundred million dollars, dad. And I said, shh. She said, you can't give him a hundred million dollars. You don't have a hundred million dollars. And then Caleb was very disappointed by that all. <laughs> now, Here's the point, though, that even my seven-year-old precious little daughter knew. You can't give what you have not received. You can't give away what you have not been given. To give sincere love, radically different transformed love, you need to, first of all, receive sincere love, radically transformed different love. We need to open our hearts and our minds, and our lives. We need to surrender ourselves to Jesus. Jesus offer this invitation, this, this gift of love is given to all who would, by faith, surrender their lives to Jesus. You don't need to work yourself into this. You don't need to show your, your merit to get into this. You don't need to check off certain boxes of religion to get into this. You don't need to pay for this. You just need to surrender your life into the hands of God, and you will receive this love of all that Jesus has done for you. And then if you think back through all these kind of different examples that we've talked about, I mean, 
to call honor to others ahead of yourself. Is that not exactly what Jesus did when he came? This is the life of Jesus. The God, the king of the universe, came down and made himself a baby and then lived and gave himself up to be executed, humiliated, punished by the very people he came to rescue. How much more giving up of yourself can you get? Or, or think about the call to give generously. Our God gave the most generous gift he could possibly give. Our God gave up his one and only son. Jesus makes it possible for you and I and all who call upon the name of Jesus and give our lives to him to receive the inheritance that Jesus has earned. All the riches in all the heavenly realms are Jesus and he gives them to all who give their life to him. He lavishes his gifts and generosity and kindness upon us who do not deserve any of it, have not earned it, Oh, the generosity of our God. Jesus went to the point of weary on his face, sweating blood, tortured, hung on a cross in humility, and never once wavered from obedient service to our Heavenly Father. His zeal never wavered even in the face of all of that. Jesus loved me and you, the ones who have turned our backs upon him, who have mocked him using his name in vain, the ones who have denied him out of fear of what would people think if they heard that I'm with Jesus, who have rejected his, his call upon our lives, his direction for how we are to live, that's us. And Jesus is the one who loved you and me, even though we did all of that to him. If we think about difficult people, I mean, I don't want to speak for you, but I can speak for me. I can't imagine being God having to deal with me. I'm like the most difficult person in the world. How many times I jump off the altar and keep running back into my own life and keep doing my own thing. And if I were God dealing with me, frankly, I'd just be like, I'm done with you. And yet God is so patient, not giving me at all what I deserve. Oh, the love of God that is lavished upon us through Jesus. God shows us radical, no lip service, worldly conformed love. God shows us a transformed, radically different, genuine, sincere love. Christ died for us. It's incredible. And so once We have received this love. Now, actually, I should say, as we keep receiving this love, because we never get beyond this, okay? It's not like you just receive it once and then you just kind of go on with the rest of your day and you're good with everything else in life to kind of do it on your own. We need to keep coming back to the love of Jesus for us over and over. This is what defines us. This is what defines our identity, our character, roots us, grounds us, keeps giving us hope in view of the mercy of God. Remember that? Chapter 12, verse 1, offer your bodies up in view of the love of God, of all that he has done for us. We keep returning to this Love, it begins by receiving it over and over and over and just basking and thanking in it. And then in view of this mercy, 
we love others out. See, because what we have received, it's like, wow, if I have received that, then surely I can give to others. See, as we, as we interact with brothers and sisters in church, people in our family, as we walk through the hard times, the hard people, have the hard thoughts, as we walk through all of this, what do we turn back to in order to show this kind of sincere love? We just keep turning back to the love of Jesus given to us, and then it comes out of us. God, if you loved me like that, then I pass on that same love to others. If you loved me so generously, how could I not be generous to this person who is in need? If you've lavished so much upon me, how can I cling to everything myself and not be willing to give away to others? If you were so patient with me, oh God, you've been so patient with me. How could I not be patient with this other person? If you were so humble, how could I? I mean, Jesus, you're the king of the universe. If you humble yourself, how could I possibly exalt myself. If you forgave me so much, how can I withhold forgiveness? I've been forgiven beyond what I could ever count for all of eternity. If you didn't give me what I deserve, why am I demanding vengeance so much against them? And we just keep returning to the love that God has for us. And allow it to come out of us. But then finally, we have this other amazing gift that God has given to us. Because this isn't just a grit your teeth thing. This isn't just like, oh, try really hard to receive the love of God and then just work it out. No, see, the other amazing part of the gospel is that God, when you give your life to Jesus, actually sends his Holy Spirit to live within you. So the very giver of love between the Father and the Son, the Holy Spirit, lives in you to produce this love through you. The way to live this life of love is a life of surrender. The way to live this life of love is not by your own power, but it's by allowing the Spirit of God living in you to have His way and to work through you, to lay your life down and say, Oh, Holy Spirit, Take control of my life and lead me to be and to show love. What's the very first fruit of the Spirit? Love. So the call of God upon your life and mine and upon our church is love. Not, not lip service love. Not love the way it's thrown around everywhere and anywhere in our day and age, but a very different love, a radically unique, stand out, a transformed love. It's a call from Almighty God to sincere love today, Bethel.